So are you a participant in the American government in any way, shape, or form? No, not at all. I mean, you you haven't voted in a while? No. No, I haven't voted probably in the last... I don't think I voted in the last election. After the last election said I wasn't going to vote for any of the presidency or anything like that anymore. So you're not a participant in the government system, the political agenda, no. or anything whatsoever? No. Can I show no. you that you are? Probably. <laughs> I imagine you can, Bill. <laughs> Welcome to You Are the Guest, a weekly show where you can be the guest and tell people what you and your friends and neighbors think about news events and issues of the day. It's part talk show, part opinion poll, part reality show, and a whole lot of fun. And it's completely dependent upon your participation as a guest. To be considered as a guest for a future show, check out the website at www.youaretheguest.com for details. Now here's your program host, Bill Grady. Greetings from the Grain City of Fort Dodge, Iowa, and welcome to show number 76 of You Are the Guest, the show where we talk to everyday people just like you and me about their lives and about the issues of the day. Our guest today joins us from Omaha, Nebraska. Wayne, welcome to You Are the Guest. Bill, I'm really glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Wayne, tell our audience about yourself. Well, I'm a, I'm a freelancer, freelance writer. I work out of my home. I've done pretty much every job under the sun, kind of, but uh, currently doing freelance writing. I'm a musician, an artist, and uh, kind of a, I don't know, I would say a jack of all trades and a podcaster. I do a couple of podcasts as well. So so how do you fall into all of these trades? Uh, unwillingly sometimes. By gunpoint? Uh, or <laughs> Yes. I mean, if somebody, <laughs> somebody hijacked you and said, you will be a copywriter. I think I'm. I think I'm just a little bit too curious for my own good, and I, I don't know. It started just because I was very much searching for what I was supposed to be doing. Um, I've tried. You know, I've been in a band since I was 16 years old, and the music thing works out great. I've gotten very close to a lot of things, gotten signed, played in front of thousands of people, opened up for all these national acts, and it just never. I've always ended up doing the one thing that you don't do to be a rock star, and that's get married and have kids. So, because um, unless you want to be on a reality TV show, yeah, <laughs> which I, you know, that's that, that would be great if I would have thought of that years ago, then I would have been set. But at the moment, uh, that they really didn't, it wasn't too congruent to have a family and try and uh, make it as a rock star. So, I, I did that for a while, been doing artwork all my life and been able to uh, sell a lot, which is great. So, I'm a you know, working artist as well. And the freelance position just turned up because I just got sick of the corporate life finally and found somebody that I could actually uh, work with and, uh, and make it work, actually. So what was your childhood ambition? My child, Actually, that's kind of a weird thing because I didn't really have – I wasn't one of those kids that wanted to grow up and be a firefighter, although I, I was a firefighter <laughs> in the military. I wanted to – I think I, I first wanted to be something when I – listened to ACDC in my room, and I decided that I wanted to play music. I wanted to play the drums. That's, I had no idea if you can really do that for a living or, or how that happens, but I would, that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a musician and an artist. I was always drawing and doing stuff, but again, it was two things that I never really thought of as, as being a career because my parents are very, you have to go to school, you have to learn everything, you have, and then you go out and you get a job. Well, I didn't know what job I wanted. Everybody had cool jobs. I didn't know which one I wanted to pick yet. So I ended up doing that. I actually ended up joining the Air Force for some crazy reason. A little punk rock kid out of Southern California. And I ended up joining 
the military and going to Alaska, somebody's evil joke, putting me in Alaska for five years as a firefighter. So so what was your overall experience after you got out of the Air Force? Did, did you think it was something positive? What things did you learn from it? And what would you say if somebody was thinking about going into the Air Force, say, this is what you can expect? <laughs> Well, boy, that's that's kind of a tough one because I didn't have a great military experience. I didn't not I didn't like as a fire. See, it's weird because when you're a firefighter, that is almost like a separate type of military. Firefighters have their own type of code, credo, uh, basically camaraderie, and the military tended to get into that too much, and we hated it. We hated the fact that, uh, you know, we were firefighters. We were some of the elite, and the military kept trying to screw with that. So it, the two together I didn't enjoy so much. Um, although I liked, when I was a kid, I, for some reason I liked the authority part of it. I did great in basic training. I loved tech school. I loved being a firefighter. What I didn't like were people that ended up moving up in, in rank and then abusing that rank on the, on the other people I've had. At the end of my my uh, military career, I had a few friends. We had a, a terrible captain who hated the fire department, who made a point to try and make our lives a living hell. And how would he do that? Well, some of the, there was some, they had, uh, he really put on a lot of things as far as like, there's a weight limit. You had to, you had to be at this ultimate weight. Well, we had guys that were big, big guys and they could not get down to that weight limit. So he would pick on those guys, threaten them to kick them out of the military, threaten to do all this stuff. And and they would sit there and starve themselves, sweat in the in the sauna until they would pass out. Um, they would be extremely stressed, and some of these guys just didn't get the the support they needed. And and there was this one instance where uh, I found out after I got out that a, a buddy of mine had uh, they found him in a canoe on the river with a gunshot wound to his chest. And uh, I, I really believe that because of all the stuff that that guy did, made this guy give up and shoot himself. So I blame that guy. And that was one, the captain that was in the military, that was our supervisor, was the one guy that when I got out, I truly hated and wanted to see him dead. <laughs> I hate to be like that, but he was the one guy that I truly hated. Um, do, you think, I, I was, do, you, do you think those type of suicides or those type of casualties are very common in the military and something that we don't hear about in the mainstream media? I can't say. I, I, I don't know. I do know that there are people like that in there that, that can't take a certain amount of uh, pressure like that. And as a, a, in certain jobs, whether you're out in Iraq or whether you're running into a burning building where you can lose your life at any moment, because we were doing the same thing. We weren't in Iraq getting shot at, but we were certainly putting ourselves in, in situations that were extremely dangerous all the time. And on top of that stress being yelled at because you were uh, a couple of pounds overweight or that you weren't strong enough or that you uh, your uniform was wrinkled. That kind of non-common sense attitude in the military, I always th you know, it made me feel that the government as a whole is so screwed up that there's no point in even acknowledging it. You know, that's, that's where it started. And it, it, it just got to the point where I, I hated, you know, when my experience getting out, I had, I was out uh, in 91 with a uh, honorable discharge, I had served a neck, you know, had served my time. I packed up my family. I was married at the time, had a couple kids, and we were we packed up our apartment. We were ready to leave. I was re I got my orders. I was ready to go, and then Saudi Arabia hit, and they kept me in for they kept me in. They just said, "Nope, you're staying." Well, I had already had tickets, airplane ticket, everything ready to go. They kept me in for another year. 
most of the time that would make people kind of upset. And I, I wasn't happy about it, but I stayed. The, uh, the captain at the time made that his, his soapbox that he said, okay, well, I'm gonna, now I'm going to get this guy because I know that he's got an attitude about it, so I'm going to watch him. So he, everything he possibly could do to me, he tried to do. He tried to, you know, every dink he could possibly get, he shot my way to the point where I, I just finally had enough, you know. And I, I, one time I got back into him, uh, he yelled at me for some stupid thing about having my hat on bat and crooked or something like that. And they pulled me in the office, and uh, that's when he said, you know, you're not fit to wear that uniform, and so we don't think that you are military material. I mean, this is after five years. This is after... Uh, I had a fine record, I had honorable discharge. They said, we're going to kick you out. Here's a general discharge. We're going to take one of your stripes away, and, and you're out. Good luck. And so they, they took me out. And, you know, a general is not a dishonorable discharge, but it's certainly they, they stripped me of uh, every possible thing they, they could. You know, and all I wanted to do was I was so proud. I wanted to make my dad proud. I was a sergeant that I, was, that I served my time, that uh, I got out with an honorable discharge, and they... They knew that, and they took it away, and I hated them for it. And did that sour you on the political system in general? It, it did. It just kind of opened my eyes to uh, how people, when they're given rank and they're supposed to use that rank with a certain degree of uh, responsibility, how easy it is for them to just not, <laughs> to do the opposite and to abuse that power. And, and I kind of looked at it like, well... Yeah, well, that's not just in the military. That's just in politics, too, in general. There's a lot of people in there that I, I, I thought just, wow, you give them any kind of power. You elect these people, and then then they, then they can do whatever they want all the way up to the presidency. So I, I just I disagreed with it. And living in the political system, too, what made me sick a lot, you know, on the other half of that was that I was I was a Buddhist since I was 15. And, not, and I'm not one of those shave-your-head, eat only vegetable kind of Buddhist. Uh, it's the same Buddhism as like Tina Turner. It's uh, Soka Gakkai. And it was very difficult to support candidates or whatever that didn't support every type of religion. It didn't matter. It was like, you're okay to be an American, but you know, it's, it's better if you're Christian. And I kept getting that back and back and back, and I, I got tired of that. So that was the other thing that kind of soured me to, to voting for, I couldn't vote for somebody that didn't have the same kind of overall respect for humanity or for the citizens of, of America. Do you mind if I, I share your last email with our listeners? Yeah, oh, yeah. Which one was that? Okay. Uh, it, it goes something like this. It says, I'm not a very political person. I said in the past that I gave up the on the American political system. People would ask me, who are you voting for? And I would tell them I'm a Buddhist and not participating in the American political system. <laughs> yeah. And so that really kind of stems from your military experience, in part. In part, yes, in part. And and mainly I would say that to confuse people. Sometimes they'd be like, why aren't you voting? Well, I'm Buddhist, I'm not going to vote. When they're like, what? Well, all right. The, every candidate that I'm looking at is is a Christian, and they, they, they really put that in people's faces when they're running as a way to get them to vote for them. Well, I may be Buddhist, but the, my friend over here is Muslim, and the other person over here is Jewish. So what's, what do they have for us? Nothing. So, you know, and my other friend's gay. What do you have for that? Am I going to vote for all these guys? No, they don't care. Yeah, but, but is it realistic for one person to represent everybody? 
I don't know. I, I don't know. Well, kind of, yeah. I mean, they can have their own views. I mean, this person, to me, the ideal president is somebody that has uh, their own va values. And say they don't agree with abortion or they don't necessarily agree with homosexuality or they don't... Uh, they don't necessarily, they're Christian, you know, it doesn't matter what religion they are, but when they use those as a way to get at the majority of the people that they're, they're wanting to represent as a whole, I just, I can't, I can't support it. And I don't know, and it's, I don't necessarily recommend this for everybody. This is just something that I, over the past 39 years, I've decided that, uh, you know, and I voted in the past, I'm a registered voter here in Nebraska and but I, I, it just sickens me sometimes to the point where I've kind of taken up what my, what Lori, my fiance, says, and that's it's a focus on the local. And I'd much rather do that because I believe that there's a lot bigger chance for change if you focus on the local and you, and you, you know, local representatives that that are either representing your your county or everything like that that you can you can vote for and actually find more commonalities and, and a little bit more change. And I agree with that, too. But I also think that the representatives from your state are your local representatives as well. And I have no problem sending those guys an email telling them what I think. And, you know, that's how I express my voice in Washington you know, are through my two representatives or actually three representatives. One of them I don't think really listens to me all that much. And that would be uh, Harkin. <laughs> But uh, Tom Latham, who's, who's the, the district representative for the House of Representatives, I send him emails all the time. Uh, Chuck Grassley I've known for years, and so I send Chuck a, an email. And I think that because of the Internet and because of the fact that, you know, for five minutes I can, I can send something to Tom Latham and then cut and paste and send that same thing to Chuck Grassley, that being in touch with your congressman uh, has never been easier than, yeah, than it has been in, in in recent years. What do you think that really does? Do you think they really read them? Do they respond to you? I think that their their staff reads them, and I think that they, they look at them. I also think they get a high volume of, right. oh, of yeah. that. And, you know, there are, there are some things that I'm, I'm sure they don't respond to. Um, once in a while, like, for example, I, I wrote an email to Tom Harkin. And I said, here's, here's what our, our neighbors are saying about the war in Iraq, and that is that we hope that whatever the strategy is, that they're listening to the people on the ground who are actually there instead of uh, listening to what the generals in Washington are saying. Then I get this, you know, this six-page email from Tom Harkin talking about his plan, and it has nothing to do with what I sent him. And, and, and so you know, what that also does, though, is it exposes the people who are actually listening to you and the people that are just playing politics. And so the next step of that is, you know, I'm still going to send these people these emails, whether I voted for them or not. And if they don't respond to it or I don't like their, their responses, then come election time, I'm going to vote for the other guy. And, you know, I'm going to be relentless in that and in, in not giving up on that system. Mm -hmm. Because I think that uh, when you you don't do something like that, then those other guys really do win. Because I, I, I really think that that's what they want. I really think that they want the taxpayer money without the accountability of somebody asking them the quote-unquote stupid questions like, you know, what are you doing about this problem? 
And I don't think they can do a whole lot about every problem, like you said. And and I just don't. I think they, most of the time they have their own agenda in there, and that's what they they set up, and that's what they do. And sure, they'd love to hear from the people, but it's it's like writing to a rock star. Do you think he's really going to read it? No, not necessarily. And and then you know, I guess the other end of things, on my stance is that. Uh, for some reason, throughout my entire life, I've just not been interested in politics. I, I not not just because of the military, and not just because of, uh, you know, my religion, but I've just not been interested in it. And I got flack, you know, I, I get would get flack from other. I wouldn't say for my religion, but I would get flack from people from not participating in in politics or having more interest in it or knowing more. And they said, "Well, that's your your duty as an American." I'm like, "No, it's not." my duty as an American. You know, quit giving me flack about something I don't want. You know, I don't have any knowledge of, uh, you know, quantum physics either. And so I, I feel the same way. People start talking politics, I doze off because I just don't have the interest in it. And part of me is like, well, if I don't have the interest in it, I don't think that's wrong. But also I, I shouldn't try and do stuff that would fall. You know, I don't think it's my responsibility to learn more about it because I'm just not interested in it. But I don't necessarily want to do things that I'm not good at. So, and so I let I let the people that, that do know what what they were talking about to take that in and, and I do what I feel is my American responsibility and be a good person and uh and not uh you know, and bring the things that I am good at to the American people and to the people in general of the world. So are and you, I told people in the military that I wasn't going to go to war. They said, well, we, we're, we're in Saudi Arabia. You know, if, we, if they tell you you're going to go to war, you're going to go to war. I'm like, no, I won't. And people would, oh, boy, they got really mad. I'm like, no, I'm not going to go kill anybody. If I go as a firefighter, I'm going as a firefighter, but I'm not going to kill anybody. I, I'm sorry. I don't care whose war this is. And, and did you sign up in the military? Did you sign up for just the firefighter only? No. Uh, I Be, was also you, 17. Because most, was, because most of the time when people sign up for the military – uh yeah they know they're gonna have guns oh yeah and that's the big comeback that everybody would say well you signed up for the military you know what and but you know what when you sign up for the military when you're 17 years old i want anybody to tell me that all the programs all the commercials you see on television and everything else does not make it out like that what they're doing the way they recruit kids is that they recruit them um and and the carrot that they put out there is, hey, college fund, man. You're going to get college money. You're going to get a paid. You're going to get training and schooling, and you're going to get a lifetime experience. Nobody ever puts up a recruiting film and shows guys getting blown up, shows people getting carried off the battlefield with no legs, shows the victims, shows the families at home crying. Nobody says that. Oh, and by the way, here's this chance. Of course, everybody comes later when you're disgruntled about the, the military or whatever, and they're like, yeah. You know. And I, and I don't take anything away from the people that are in the military and that are out there doing their duty and their job. I, I give them full respect. It's just that when people come back at me and say, well, you, were, you signed up. I'm like, well, yeah, well, I also got married twice. And I <laughs> said I would stay with them for the rest of my life. And I got divorced twice, too. So don't, you know, when I'm 17 and I get lured into it by all, these, all this, how great the military is, nobody ever told me that I would have to go and kill people. And you don't get that realization. You don't know but, what war but, and death is like. But at the same time, I mean, when you're 17, you have a concept that in the military there is guns and there is such a thing as war. And there sure. is going to be training with, with weapons and, and everything else. Yeah, and I like the training. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love but, it. And, and you can't, so you really can't say, well, I, I didn't quite know that you know, I, I would have to go to war. It was, I hope I don't have to go to war. 
Oh, correct. Yeah, and I think, but when you're 17, that it's the same thing. I hope I never get divorced, or oh, I hope I don't end up robbing a bank. <laughs> you know, but it, it just as as you go on, as your life goes, your life changes, and and situations changed. And uh, the more I got into seeing how I was treated while I was there, you know, by these people that weren't running into buildings on fire, the more I was like, I'm going to go and I'm going to get killed or killed for, for this guy? Are you kidding me? So are you a participant in the American government in any way, shape, or form? No, not at all. I mean, you you haven't voted in a while? Um, I, I No. No, I haven't voted probably in the last – I don't think I voted in the last election. I may have voted in the in the local elections, but uh, I certainly I think after the last election said I wasn't going to vote for any of the presidency or anything like that anymore. So you're not a participant in the government system, the political agenda, no. or anything whatsoever. No. Can I show no. you that you are? Probably. <laughs> I imagine you can, Bill. That's what I said. I'm like, oh, sure, go ahead. Okay. Do you pay federal income taxes? No, I am avoiding them. No, yes, of course I do. Yes. Okay, and, and you pay state income taxes. Yep. And you pay state sales tax. Yep. And you buy gas for your car. Once in a while, I have to. Yeah. Yeah. You are, you know, the on on the lowest level of involvement in the government because you're the one that uh, provides the funding. Well, also because I don't have a choice. If I had a choice, I wouldn't pay taxes. And I think that would be for most people. Yet I, I like paying my fair share of taxes, knowing that it, it's at least buying me some services or or it's funding right. the country. And it goes back to holding the, the representatives, for example, um, a, a little bit accountable for, okay, I, I'm paying you this, this tax money, and I don't have a choice on that. But I'm willing to do that as my part of the American political system. And what that buys me is that buys me the representation. For example, the average congressman, their salary is $168,000 a year. Um, Three representatives, Harkin, uh, Grassley, and Latham. Three times, that's almost a half a million dollars in congressional representation. And so if they're getting that much money, I have the, I guess, as the check writer or the fund writer, the ability or the obligation or um, the need to say, you know, this is how I feel. Are you representing me well in in the government? And so that's my outlook on it. Right. And, and I think that's, I, again, <clears throat> I guess I don't mean to say that I, I refuse to, to participate at all. Um, and I'm I, I just refuse to participate in certain aspects of the political system because I don't feel like I'm qualified and I don't feel like I want to be qualified. So you feel comfortable with writing the check? Well, no. Well, I think the thing is, is that I have to. It doesn't matter. I've, I have to or else I go to jail. And I'd rather stay out of jail than, uh, than just go ahead and, and do it. And sure. you have to. We, we don't have a choice. It's really – there is just no choice. You have to – you have to pay the taxes. You have to do it, and that's fine. I will do that and let the people that know what they're talking about hopefully work it out. But I. But, I, but you I, also have opinions, correct? I mean, you do have a, a political opinion. Well, I don't know if it would be necessarily a political opinion. I, I, I do. I, I guess I have a polit- political opinion, but, I mean, it doesn't necessarily, to me, it doesn't matter or make a difference. My opinion is, is my opinion. Everybody's got one. But... 
what am I going to do in, unless there's a, you know, a black man in the presidency or a woman or a gay man or woman in the presidency or in places where now we're not afraid of it anymore? You know, and we can fight for it, and I do. You know, I, I certainly I have opinions, and I, and I stand by them, and I, and I support those people, but I don't necessarily feel, you know, we're still killing each other as a human race. Great. We, we've done that for centuries, for eons, and it's just, it frustrates me, and I just feel like I have more to contribute in other ways than in politics. And I let uh, my fiancé do the talking, do the politician, <laughs> and, 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 and I... Uh, and I talk about the other stuff and hopefully bring entertainment to people rather than uh, my political views, of, of which I don't even know if I have many. I guess that's the way I look at it. it well, it's, I don't know if that would be apathetic. Would that be... Uh, I, th I think uh, I would classify that as, as apathetic. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's kind of like going, you paying for a ticket to a party, all you can eat and all you can drink, and then just standing at, sitting at the table saying, nah, no thanks. Oh, I, don't I know, mean, man. You, I love buffets, so I, yeah, you know, that'd I mean, be one you, party I'd be going to. <laughs> right, exactly. And, but and, no, and, and you know, you've paid for the ticket. You know, you, sure. your taxes are there. And and here here are the the three levels that I think of of participation in the government. Level number one is the easiest one, which is pay your taxes, pay your fair share, nothing more. Just pay your fair share of taxes. Level number two is voting. You should exercise that right to vote. And then the third part is what I would call just another ring up on the responsible citizenship, which is then writing maybe you know once a quarter or once a month to your, your congressman or a city official or something like that, and just let them know your opinion because they actually work for you if you pay your taxes. And I guess I, I only have... A part of that level, I, w I would vote uh, for a local, and I do pay taxes, um, but I wouldn't write my congressman or anything like that because I don't. I I, I just I just wouldn't. It's odd, but I, I just would not do that. And I look at it like you you said the uh, paying for the, the the party. What I look at it like is you're taking your say you take your your family to Wally World, and and they you paid to get in, but you don't ride any of the roller coasters because they make you sick. Well, are you? Are you stupid for paying to get in because all your family, your rest of your people that you brought can can ride them and they love to ride them? Great, good for you. Go for it. You like it. You you want to do it? Go for it. I'm gonna sit right here because they make me sick, and I just have no interest in riding those. But I will go around here and you know throw the ring into the goldfish thing. That's about as far as I'll go. That that's the way I look at it. Can I throw another analogy at you? Yeah, I'm all about analogies. Okay, let's say the the average American. Uh, makes $30,000 a year. And the average American pays 31.6% of their income in taxes. 31.6% of their income off of $30,000 is $9,480 a year in taxes. Almost a third of their income. Have you ever right. financed a car? Yes. And if you bought a car, financed it for four years, and every... Every year you paid $9,480 a year. Um, after four years, that comes out to be $37,920. What kind of a car could you buy for $37,920? <laughs> after that long. Well, I would say, uh, yeah, pretty decent car. Yeah. And if, you yeah. Had, and if you had that car and you paid for it with your own money, right. uh, wherever you went, would you... Leave it unlocked and leave the, the keys in the ignition. 
Well, you would no, you, you would protect you, that because it, you, it because it is worthwhile see, to you. see that. Well, that no, because that analogy doesn't necessarily work. Because I think that more or less what pol what the political system is is that uh, you're paying for the right to look at the car, uh, and, and you can really wish you could drive it and direct it to where you want it to go. Uh, but all they're going to let you do is fill it with gas and how the oil changed and, and keep making payments on it. But yeah, no, you're not, you don't get to drive it yet. We'll consider it. No, I the think, car I looks think, at you and says... I, I think you get, you get to drive it from the standpoint that all we can ask for is for our voice to be heard by our representatives. Because let's, let's face it, if, if all the Americans... Let's say we had this one big convention where every American citizen was allowed to do a town meeting, and we are all going to make the laws for the land. How big of a mess would that be? Yeah, and you're right, because, you know, and again, we were just talking about this, about coming onto your show, and that's one thing Lori says, you know, those, those are all ideal situations, great, uh, but they just don't work in practice. They're great in theory, they never work in practice, and I concede to that, that's fine. I understand that if everybody had their their opinions and everybody had was heard and you you, you get the most ideal political system you possibly could, it still is going to be screwed up because we're humans, we're fallible, and it just doesn't work. And I understand that, and I and I embrace that, and that's fine um, to me, and that's fine. <laughs> I just uh, you know when when it comes to those kind of things, I I just don't feel like I can. W study the political system enough to to really want. I just don't have the desire to study any of the political system enough it's like uh, why am I studying for math but, but are geometry you, but again? are you making it too hard I kind of am I'm, I'm actually making it easier <laughs> and maybe that's a laziness aspect that I have is that I just kind of like eh, whatever I let other people deal with it and maybe that's part of the uh, bad part of America but I also feel it's my right not to not to have to if I don't want to vote, that's my right as well. If I don't want to partake in the political system, that's my right as well. Am I a bad person for it? Well, am I any worse than the guy that stole the car down the street? I don't know. But I just I look at it like until I can no more. Now, if there's topics and things that I can really get into and I understand and I'm passionate about, that's what I do. Mm -hmm. And that's just me as a person because a lot of things, the reason why I do all, all the things that I do is because I get this passion about it. And that's what gets me fired up, and that's what I do. Unfortunately, politics does not inspire me to do anything. It, it, it doesn't. I don't have a passion for it. I don't have a, a anything. I'm but, just dead. But you're it. okay writing the check for it. No, of course I'm not okay with that. I hate it, but I don't have a choice in it. No, really. But, but but you do have a choice on how much you allow these guys to get away with the things that you disagree with. To a point. I, I, I personally don't, again, want to invest the time or mental energy to, to, to do it. I don't feel like it's – if I, I can fight that all my life and I will still pay the same amount in taxes. All my life, I'll still be able – still, the way I look at it as, as a whole, I'll still be paying the same. And once I'm dead, I'm dead. I don't really care about anybody else. <laughs> well, actually, but, you won't be paying the same because taxes go up and down. All right. Well, for, for, I just – For example, we're paying less taxes today – than we did when Bill Clinton was in office. Well, is that okay, or is it okay that we're killing each other overseas? That has nothing to do with taxes, nothing to do with being involved in your your government. No, but I'm saying that if it's a, uh, I mean, I sure you could say, great, that's great, we have lower taxes. Still doesn't fix much. 
It's great we have lower taxes. So, 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 what is the the solution though? If nobody says, okay, we're just we're we're okay with just paying the tax bill, and nobody raises any questions, nobody says anything about it. Um, uh, what what are the chances are that those taxes are continuing to go up? But see, that's the thing. That's I guess what makes me the bad person is that. Uh, I really don't care. I, I don't. Uh, I don't. I don't consider that everybody's going to do that. I know everybody's not going to think the same way I do, and I certainly want people to to raise questions and and handle that sort of thing. That is just my personal. I just don't. That's not my personal forte. So I will continue to do what I have to do to live an American life, and I'll let those people that are more adept hopefully work out the system and I will continue to pay my taxes and I will continue to go off and I will continue to contribute to the world what I have to contribute. It's just not going to be writing my congressman or voting for a president that doesn't like gay people or is in favor, not in favor of, you know. <laughs> okay. Here, here, here's another question to throw out at you. Okay. Why are you comfortable with letting people that you have never met before speak for you? Because again, it's like taxes. I don't have a choice. Well, no, that I think I would disagree with you that you do have a choice on who speaks for you in Congress. I don't think anybody speaks for me. I don't think uh, they. they but, always but speak they for, certainly for won't. But they certainly won't if you don't send them any messages. If you if you say, "Well, I'm going to let the other people speak for me," then you're you're basically letting these special interest groups and everybody else then effectively be your voice well I, you know and I, I don't look at it that way because i it really doesn't affect my my life in general my my small little world it doesn't affect me to the and, point and that why, i cannot get and up why, and have breakfast and, and why and, do you and, say that i mean why because, do you why do you say that it doesn't and and it can't affect you and this sounds terrible too i don't recommend this i, I do i would encourage kids to get involved in politics and and to and to really be smarter about it than i am so, I just, so is this a do as i say not as i do exactly it is and i think it should be because why do you think that should be well because i don't want everybody to be like me of course i just i am comfortable with the way i am as a person and in my views i just uh and, you know, I don't know if it's part of being a rebel or, or whatever like that, but I, I, I certainly am comfortable with the way I am. And, it, and to me, in my, in my own little universe here, that it, it doesn't affect me. I still wake up. I still, you know, work. I still contribute. I still am a father. I'm still a, you know, a good person to be around. But, but and, what about the people that it does affect? Because there are a lot of people, for example, in this country that are, very poor, there are the homeless, and there are people without health insurance. And wouldn't it be more advantageous for people like uh, us who may have those things to at least stand up for those people once in a while? Yeah, but I think you can do that in a number of different ways. I mean, and no, how? Well, and I think I, I stand up for things that I that again I'm I'm passionate about and I see and you know when it comes give down me, to like give me an example. 
Um, I put on a number of uh, benefits to raise money for uh, American Cancer Society. Um, I have been fully supportive of gay marriage. Uh, I've tried to help and, and spread the word about that. Uh, you know, things like uh, organ donation. Th instances like that that to me are, are equally as important that I can actually learn about and be interested in and hopefully be able to contribute my personality and my value to whereas I don't believe that in, in, in the political arena I can really contribute much because I just don't have that interest so I look for other things that I can contribute to society like that that are helping them out as well um, benefits for for the uh, the different houses we have here for the homeless and and on a local level I've done as well I've done a lot of stuff like that I always donate artwork uh, to help out fundraising and, and charities and things like that. Too, and I so. and I think that's great. I think most people give to the charities, you know, as they can and as their their life allows. But I'm also saying that can we take it up another level too, which is can can you give five minutes every three months to send an email off to your congressman and say, you know, this is how I feel, and. Wouldn't that be better than not doing it? And wouldn't that, if we could get enough people to do that, wouldn't that let the congressman know that there is people that they are accountable to? You know, and that, all right, well, I'll, I will take your Pepsi challenge. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and no, you, you're right about that. That isn't a lot to ask or whatever. And, I, and I, I guess part of me is afraid and part of me is just like, oh, you hate it so much. Why do you even bother with it? So I, I guess I can make this statement now is that I would say, I, you know, things like that, if I keep my ears open a little bit more, especially when it comes up to things that I'm passionate about, whether it's uh, pro-life or whether it's, uh, uh, you know, religion in the schools or whether it's, you know, gay marriage, that if there's a way to, yeah, sure, I guess that would even make me feel better to be able to write the congressman and say, hey, this is how I feel about it and uh, this is... And, and do that. I, I I feel even though I don't necessarily believe it's going to make a big difference at all, and it could be just a big waste of time. I would be willing to do that, just to to be able to to contribute more. And again, I only not, I only don't contribute because I don't feel that I'm qualified, nor do I want to be qualified. What? I just don't have that interest. But so, but maybe it, this could help inspire me more to to be qualified. Maybe that will help others who are maybe feel the same way I do yeah. to start getting that spark going to help them get a little bit more involved and find out. Well, let, let me share with you my, my last email to Tom Latham, and I, I uh, copied and pasted this off to Chuck Grassley. It, it goes something like this, very short note. It says, mm -hmm. Hello, Tom and friends in Washington, D.C. I received an interesting call today from the Business Advisory Council, in quotations, the National Republican Congressional Committee, saying that they wanted to recognize me with their National Leadership Award. My first thought was this had to be a joke. It turns out to be a plea for money from the NRCC. In my opinion, congressmen like Tom Cole give themselves a black eye by being part of this telemarketing campaign, which is borderline sleazebag in their approach. Your name, with Steve Kings, who is also a, an Iowa congressman, is on their side as well. From what I've read on the Internet about the NRCC, many people have been getting these kinds of calls. If it were a private business, we'd all be reporting them to the Better Business Bureau or the Attorney General's office. The manner in which the NRCC is attempting to raise money and how they use it after they get it represents all the things that I and many of my neighbors in your district despise about politics and politicians. Sincerely, Bill Grady. So, I mean, 
you really don't need to be an expert on everything. Just, you know, if, if something really grates at you, like I got this, this stupid telemarketing call from the NRCC, it's like, I'm going to let these clowns in, in Washington know about that. I don't appreciate political action committees um, doing this stuff and put the pressure on those guys, if that makes sense. No, that it does t- it totally make sense. And, I, and with the form that I work in, as far as that goes, that, that can also be another way to, you know, again, sparking interest to get other people to do the same. And I, I, I agree with you on that. That's fine. <laughs> Wayne, it's time to play Ask Bill 3. This is where I'm going to turn the microphone over to you, and you get to grill me on three questions of your choosing. So with that, fire away. All right. Well, these aren't going to be political questions, so I'm safe there. Okay. <laughs> the first one is, and this is something that I was, uh, I've been kind of going back and forth with, but uh, again, in the, I do a lot of stuff in the entertainment industry and things like that. And I'm, I'm talking about, uh, I saw a report on this about paparazzi. And I know that a lot of news journalists, they have to actually get credentials to, to go in and, and photograph or interview people. They have to actually get these official credentials from the FBI, from the, from the local police. What is your opinion on, on general paparazzi as far as that goes? Should they have to get credentials? Should they not? Or, or is it just a, one of those kind of rights that they have to be able to take photos wherever they want of whoever they want? And I'm not, I don't want to get into the because they're celebrities, they have to be subject to paparazzi, but paparazzi in general to do whatever they want. Well, I think that the people who buy those pictures should be responsible for any or all damages if that if they buy pictures from people who destroy other people's property or or uh, or a gross invasion of other people's privacy, I guess. What's your thought on that? Well, again, it's one of those things that I it's it's kind of hard to nail down because of the amount, the sheer amount of people out there. Uh, you can't. It's hard to differentiate the uh, the little uh, tourist snap snappers from the the actual people that have the big cameras that are, are doing that i think everybody should be credentialed uh that would make i and there, there's just got to be some sort of regulation and I, I don't say that i have the answer for that but i say there's got to be some sort of regulation and until it comes down to the point where somebody truly gets hurt or killed or or whatnot yeah i, I think that there has to there there the liability has to go with the people who buy those pictures exactly and if that was taken away if that you know if they had to be licensed people if they had to get a license in order to sell those pictures to any magazine then a lot of it would go away i think or or at least licensing may be a better form of self-regulation within the industry if that makes right. sense i guess it would be yeah the industry as a whole took some responsibility uh, then I think it would make a little bit of a of a difference. There might be a little bit more respect and a little bit better public safety. So sure, I just wanted to find out if you were up on any of that or what your opinion was. So did I answer your question? I think you did. Yeah. Okay. What's question number two? Question number two. Um, the it just came out that the uh, the sky the guys that, do, that are doing Skype what we're talking on now and they they also had Kazaa that they are now. Uh, starting a company called uh, Yoast or Juiced. I guess it's Yoast in in in, in uh, Dutch, I believe. But that is going to be thousands of of free tele- internet television. And I guess coming with that, do you think that there's any problem with getting free 
internet television, broadcast quality, beamed onto your computer, and having advertisers be able to get behind that and then find out what you're watching and promote the advertisements accordingly to each people. Is this a good thing or a bad thing do you foresee in the future? Well, I still think the majority of people watch television in their living rooms. While it's, it's cool and people who are technically oriented that say, wow, I can watch a lot of TV from my, my computer screen, those are the minority of, of people within the United States. So um, until the distribution changes where it's either on a cable system or uh, televisions are actually Internet access ready, um, I don't see it, it picking up a lot of steam. Did I answer your question? Yes. Yes, that's a, kind of what I was looking for, kind of based on the third question, which is a podcast question. Um, as far as where the podcast business looks to be going, do you think that the government will ever try and interfere, regulate? Um, do you think it will take off to a point where advertisers may start looking at different popular podcasts? Same uh, you know, with these companies uh, like uh, Podshow getting on Sirius Satellite, of course, Sirius being merged, but things like that as far as all these podcasters doing our shows, trying to get advertising, trying to get so many listeners. And being able to say pretty much what we would like to say. Do you think there's ever going to be a time where the government kind of steps in and tries to uh, put the reins on that at all? I don't think they can for a couple of different reasons. Number one, to regulate the podcasters, they would have to regulate the Internet, which also means they would regulate blogs, which also means that then you're starting to say, well, do how far do we let these guys go? Do we also let them take it even as far as regulating email, because that is electronically produced as well. I think that my opinion of podcasting is the only people that are really making money in podcasting are the service providers. That means that <laughs> the, 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 there are people that are the real people that are making money are the ones that are saying, hey, you know, uh, this 1% of podcasters, um, they're making money, and you can too. And they're selling the same old crap to 99% of the podcasters who don't make a dime. And what it turns out to be, basically, is a hobby. And so the only people that are making money off of the hobby are the people who are providing the hobby supplies. So yeah. that's my outlook for uh, about podcasting is that if if you're a podcaster and you've got this big dream of, oh, look, you know, I can quit my day job and all that stuff, um, that's going to probably only affect 1% of the podcasters. And it's kind of like chasing the you know rock and roll dream. <laughs> I was just going to say that. It's kind of like being be yeah. a musician. What's your thought on that? I think it's going to be more like a gateway to different things. People can use podcasts to help other businesses and, and whatnot. There, there's money to be made, but I don't think it's in actually producing your podcast. No. It's what the, what the podcast can do, you know, what, what it can tell other people. I think that, for, for example, we talk about podcasting on a business level. I think that corporate podcasting has great potential because basically all it is is an audio newsletter. And if you have the time and and able to connect with your customers on a voice level, 
you'll certainly be able to do it a lot cheaper than printing out newsletters and doing direct mail. So saving money. There you go. Yeah. So All right. agree or disagree? I agree. I actually fully agree with that. Wayne, do you want to tell about your shows and how people can listen in? Sure. Uh, well, the first show is Worlds of Wayne, and you can find that at worldsofwayne.com or worldsofwayne.podshow.com. And Worlds of Wayne is really my, uh, my, my guinea pig podcast. I started that a few months ago, and I get to, because I'm a freelance writer, I get to interview different uh, national touring acts, and I get to uh, put them on the podcast. Usually they're very good about that. So it's kind of a commentary uh, interview music show, kind of an all-around entertainment show, which uh, we've had James Blunt and, like I said, Billy Ray Cyrus, and uh, I just can put on pretty much whatever I want. Did you sing Achy Breaky Heart? I didn't even mention that. <laughs> I stayed cleared of that question when I interviewed him, so... And, and none, of, none of his press people beforehand said, you know, whatever you do, don't ask him about the, you know, the icky breaky deal. Oh, no. No, no. My, my, my kids were really excited. They thought I was a rock star then because they love him. They love him because he's on uh, his daughter's Hannah Montana on the Disney Channel. Ah. And he's, all, he's also in the show. So she, they thought I was, I was, they had no idea about icky breaky heart or anything. <laughs> they just knew that dad gets to interview Hannah Montana's dad. And that made me almost cool. And that was awesome. That was so awesome. <laughs> so, uh, so that's what World of Wayne's about. I get to do crazy stuff like that and whatever. And uh, we have another one. Uh, my fiance Lori and I, since we are freelancers, we produce a podcast called Freelance America, and you can find that at freelanceamerica.libsyn.com or freelanceamerica.podshow.com. And uh, basically. That podcast is really us in the trenches of freelancing, trying to help other people that are also in the trenches of freelancing, trying to free you from the corporate grind. We use that as a way to, we, we interview different uh, authors, other people that are in the business, uh, editors, you know, authors of, basically authors of freelance books, uh, bestsellers, stuff like that. Anybody that can help us get better at freelancing, whether it's marketing, whether it's taxes, whether it's dealing with a partner, whether anything like that. We, we try and talk to people and, and help people let them know what we've experienced and some of the obstacles that we've experienced as freelancers for the past couple of years. And hopefully if they're thinking about breaking out and either doing it part-time or full-time, they can listen to our podcast and uh, glean a little bit of, uh, of tips and get a little bit of information so that they don't make the same mistakes or at least maybe work them out a little bit better than we do. So that's Freelance America with my host, uh, Lori, is my fiance and myself. Wayne, thank you so much for being our guest this week on You Are the Guest. Thanks for having me, Bill. I appreciate it, and I love your show. If you'd like to be a guest on a future show, just go to our website at www.youaretheguest.com. Submit your first name, the town where you live, and a short description on why you'd make a good guest. There is no charge for being a guest, and you'll have the opportunity to share what you think and how the news and events from today affect your life. The show's producers will contact you by email if you're chosen for a future show. Remember that you can listen to the show every day at Coolcast Radio. And, of course, we always appreciate your subscriptions at iTunes and Yahoo Podcasts. That concludes this week's edition of You Are the Guest from the great city of Fort Dodge, Iowa. I'm Bill Grady. Thanks for listening.